Welcome to the latest episode of Streamed and Screened, a podcast about movies and TV shows that are worth watching from Lee Enterprises. With us, as always, we've got Bruce Miller, entertainment reporter for many, many years, also the current editor of the Sioux City Journal. Hello, Bruce. It's Yoda checking in. And we got Jared Bignett, also working for the Sioux City Journal, a reporter out there, co-host of On Iowa Politics. Correct, yes. He's just a podcasting demon, isn't he? And we will for sure get to demons shortly when we start talking about yes. uh, Dr. Strange. But first, uh, also, we have me. I am Chris Lay, the podcast operations manager for Lee and a, uh, I don't know, Marvel apologist, maybe. So we've got an interesting show. We're going to be kind of doing some uh, reactions to Dr. Strange. Doctor Strange is still kind of rolling through all of the, uh, the theaters. <laughs> it's a bit of a, a box office juggernaut. I don't think there's anything really opening in theaters next weekend either. We've got a couple things that are hitting streaming, like the new Firestarter is going to be in theaters, but that's also going to be hitting Peacock immediately as well. I always think about this week in relation to years and years ago, three consecutive weeks. Uh, the second X-Men movie came out. This is a long time ago. The next week, Daddy Daycare came out, and there was nothing else that came out of note that week. And then the next week was Matrix Reloaded. So this is like an equivalent dead week to that for our current era because of Doctor Strange. Well, let's jump into Doctor Strange then. This Doctor Strange is the second Doctor Strange film. Scott Derrickson was the director of the first one, and he, early on in the production, failed for I'm assuming some kind of creative differences and the second film was supposed to follow directly on the heels of the Scarlet Witch TV show WandaVision but because of COVID and a bunch of other stuff it just got schedule-wise derailed and flip-flopped all over the place it was supposed to come out before Spider-Man and so they had to do a bunch of reshoots it's a bit of an odd duck they got Sam Raimi to come in as the director Sam Raimi dragged me to hell being probably his most recent success horror legend former well i mean I'm, I'm sure he's still a pal of the cohen's but a, but a, a former cohen brothers co-worker yes yeah so you guys are both varying degrees of marvel i don't want to say marvel literate but marvel passionate marvel curious what did you think bruce i've seen every one of the marvel films and this is maybe the most standalone i think you could do without it I don't think you really have to have this to fill in the gaps of anything. And if you're a newcomer, you should be able to get as much as you want out of this. If you don't know certain things and there are certain characters, I did notice that, you know, at one point they bring in a lot of straight characters. Okay. And the crowd just roars when they kind of arrive. Not necessarily because they're seeing the character, but they're seeing who could play the character in future spinoffs, which was interesting. It's not really a spoiler, I guess, but we can refer to it as the Illuminati. Okay. But we won't spoil who those are, but you are right. That, that is the, the news from, from the movie that definitely had people losing their, losing their minds, going bananas in my theater as well. Yeah, you know, there's something about Benedict Cumberbatch as Doctor Strange is he doesn't seem like he fits with other 
uh, Marvel characters. There's something about him that just seems a little too, I don't know. To me, he's dispensable. To that point in particular, Bruce, about Benedict Cumberbatch, like it felt like the scenes that really relied on him as like an actor were some of the ones that fell the flattest in the entire movie, which is weird to me because he's a really good actor. Like we've seen him be a great actor in a number of different movies, including just last year with Power of the Dog. And in this, when it really just hinges on that like dramatic element, it that, those are the parts that worked for me the absolute least of anything. Yeah, the press screenings of this, the press w- was asked not to reveal who the villain is, which is kind of ridiculous, but the villain is basically... Uh, the Scarlet Witch, and um, Elizabeth Olsen absolutely eats the entire film up. I thought she was really good in it for the most part, especially when compared to Benedict Cumberbatch. I feel like he just doesn't do well in, or he, he doesn't do as well under all of the, the green screen circumstances that Marvel requires of him. I think you can really tell that there's green screen all over the place. All I could see is them standing on a, a largely green set you know, holding their hands out and doing these kind of hand gestures that what do they mean? I have no clue. But it didn't seem like it was a story that was being told. It was just things. And I think, you know, I get where Sam Raimi was doing the kind of the horror element. I got that. I understood that. That was fine. Oh, yeah. But there was a lot of that stuff where he whips his hands around 25 times and you're thinking, what the hell is this? I don't really get it. And if I was new to this, I would just think, mm, okay, I get you. But he's like Mandrake the Magician or something. He's not really Doctor Strange. Not surprisingly, the horror stuff in it was like my favorite parts of the movie. Like the weirder and like goopier and just like horrifying it got, like the more excited I was. Like there's a character that basically gets turned into spaghetti in the movie at one point, which was like a really cool visual and really horrifying. And then someone else's mouth basically gets sewn shut, uh, which was pretty cool to see in a Marvel movie because that's like not the kind of like kinder trauma kind of thing they would normally have in one of their movies. So when it did stuff like that, I was really, really happy. But then a lot of the other parts of it left me pretty cold. When it went into the Twilight Zone, you thought, oh, this is kind of fun. I enjoyed that. I liked Benedict when he was kind of like the Phantom of the Opera, if you know which one I mean. Mm -hmm. I thought that was his best stuff because he surprised. But when he's just kind of being the guy with the bad wig and the cape, or as he calls it, the cloak, I I was lukewarm. I really didn't care that much about him or what he was doing. And you can see why he wants out of this, because his character doesn't really have that element that you would find with the other ones. What is the wig budget at Marvel? Because that needs to be addressed, I feel like. I concur. Yeah, the... (laughs) wig budget is not it's not great um yeah that needs to be addressed you are absolutely dead on i like the movie a lot more than than the two of you but i think it represents some of the the most optimistic values that i expect from marvel films in the form of someone like sam raimi coming in and you feel like it is a sam raimi film for parts of it i think yes absolutely i mean the entire like last third of the film feels extremely like a Sam Raimi film. And even a lot of demons. Yes. In one of the early sequences, there's this enormous one-eyed octopus like thing. And, you know, he has its eyeball popped out. And at that point I settled in, I got comfortable and I said, all right, like this is the, I'm, I'm in reasonably 
good hands. This hasn't been tampered with to death. And that's the other side of the Marvel coin, which is that this movie has so much lifting to do as far as plot development. And it's supposed to be the follow-up to a show that ended two years ago that didn't quite connect those dots very cleanly in the same way. And, you know, they had to do reshoots because Sony wouldn't move the Spider-Man date. And originally this was supposed to come out before Spider-Man. So they had to casually just kind of mention something about Spider-Man and then Hawkeye. And it has to fit into this much larger thing. And Bruce, when you were saying that it, it stands alone, I feel like that's as much of a compliment as it is an insult where it's, it's forgettable as far as what it's doing within the Marvel universe, the larger story. I do think you need to watch WandaVision to really understand the details of that character, but you can just assume that she's whatever she presents in this film and go with it. But it enhances your experience if you know something about that. The one-eyed guy that you talk about at the beginning, I thought of Mike from Monsters, Inc. I thought, are they kind of killing off some Disney things here while they're at it? That octopusy like thing? There goes Mike. I got to mention, uh, Chris, because you talked about the uh, the Illuminati and there's a, like a, a surprise appearance in there that I, I don't want to spoil for anyone who actually cares about spoilers. <laughs> I hope the person in particular that's like the big surprise for one of the four people that see Illuminati, I really hope they're not wedded to him as like a character in the Marvel universe going forward, because those would be some of the most joyless and unfunny Marvel movies yet to date if they're going to revolve around who it is that shows up. Yeah. <laughs> and I mean, you say that and there's a couple of instances like there isn't just the one that I think that you're maybe referencing. There's a couple of others where I'm just like, I don't know, like as far as carrying this, but that felt good. And it also that kind of turned it took the the fan ego stroking we see you we know that you're out there on reddit with your you know casting <laughs> dream casting scenarios and whatever and then it just immediately pulls the rug out from under all of those in one of the most satisfying ways it was one of the most like enjoyable sequences for me to watch just as a not married to any kind of mcu absolutism or you know, passionate, whatever. It's like, I'm, I'm perfectly fine with throwing complete chaos into, into the mix here. Chris, you know, the, uh, the appearance I got most excited about in the whole movie hit me Bruce Campbell showing up, baby. Oh, yeah. I was like the only one in my theater too. that got excited to see Bruce Campbell, you know, Sam Raimi's longtime friend, a dear friend and, you know, collaborator till the end of time showing up as a, uh, a street food vendor was like the most delightful part of the whole movie to me. Pizza Papa. <laughs> And he, it, this is a spoiler. So if you hang past the credits, you get to see him again. But he pulls a Ferris Bueller with that one. And it made me feel like I wish I'd known this before because I wouldn't have sat through those last 10,000 names. I really didn't need to see the 10,000 names. And I start looking on there to see if there's anybody I might recognize because I think it's everybody who goes to see the movie who gets listed in the credits at some point. There's so many of them. I mean, it's like unreal. And some of them might say, you know, do a little better work. Some of your little special effects, not that good. Not that good. But um, yeah, it's great to see Bruce because Bruce is a good character player. Yep. And he could have been much bigger in the whole thing, I think. The thing about the multiverse by uh, introducing it like this, you'd never have to be assured that anybody is ever coming back. You can always change the people, the characters, and say, 
oh, well, they're from a different universe. This was not the same one. It's a different one. So if you really like Robert Downey Jr. as Iron Man, well, he's probably in a universe somewhere, but we can get somebody cheaper and we'll put him in the universe that we're in for this one. So it's not job assurance for these people. It is kind of weird, too, because it really does open up the possibilities. Like, it makes the possibilities basically endless. But at the same time, it does zap a little bit of the stakes because, yeah, exactly. Like, no one can ever necessarily really be dead. So the stakes are going to be a little lower going forward. Yeah. And, I mean, for me, that's an extension of the comics where yeah, that's been the running joke for the longest time where everything is subject to retconning constantly. Proud tradition. At some point, I would like to maybe plan out a larger conversation, uh, maybe heading into some of the other like Marvel big ticket items down the line about the larger ramifications of this, where, I don't know, I mean, Scorsese's been excoriated publicly for, you know, the stuff that he said, which I think was generally misunderstood. And I know, uh, Jared, you've retweeted on, on the social account a couple things. Uh, related to the way that this thing just eats up theaters and it also eats up you know the time of a lot of the creatives that are involved in it you know for all the time that benedict cumberbatch was making these movies i mean could he not have been doing other things that were you know potentially more valuable i mean that's kind of a worthless hypothetical but it's worthless as a hypothetical but in reality i mean he also could have been you know voicing a car in the next cars movie so who who knows yeah <laughs> you know though with these kind of movies we could be in them because a lot of it is just special effects stunt work kind of making a face and they shoot you and then they add everything in behind you so you don't need a a-list actor to play the roles you could really get a lot of those people who are popular but not necessarily a big actor so kim kardashian's coming just put her in one of these things she's she's one of those characters you can just see it We'll digitally sew up the back of that dress for her, you know, so it uh, right. actually fits. A little Met Gala humor for, <laughs> <laughs> for those who observe. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, that's another legitimate criticism of the Marvel process is any number of these scenes, it's like you just go down and you shoot in a, in a green screen reacting to stuff and you don't necessarily know if the footage that you're shooting is going to be used in this movie or, you know, the next Guardians film for all of that. You know, I mean, you really don't know. I know Captain Marvel, um, Brie Larson, you know, has said that, you know, some of the stuff that she filmed for that, like, you know, ended up getting reused, like, down the line or, you know, before. I mean, it's, their production process is insane. And I enjoyed it. But again, much more, I think, is a standalone film, so. Marva holds your interest. They're good at doing that. It didn't seem as padded as some of the Avengers movies where you think, oh, one more chase, one more crash, one more this. I didn't see that with this one. And largely that's because of the kind of creatures he creates or the, the demons. That's what keeps you going. I would love to see Sam Raimi's Harry Potter. I'd love to see what he would do with Harry Potter because he made me kind of scared during some of that kind of dementor times. And I think he'd be really good at, at doing a Harry Potter that isn't so kind of juvenile. Yeah. So Dr. Strange and the Multiverse of Madness, M-O-M, Multiverse of Madness. Happy belated Mother's Day to everyone out there. Considering the, uh, the plot of the movie, good Mother's Day movie, you know, it's really a, a movie about motherhood. 
in a lot of ways. So, yeah, if you didn't see it on Mother's Day yesterday, missed opportunity. Very much a missed opportunity. Yeah. Movies like this, I always think of Thomas Jane in Arrested Development. I just want my kids back. Like, that's the... (laughs) (laughs) Like, where that's the entire driving... Yep, the whole motivation. Exactly. Bruce, what have you seen? You want to give us a, a nice pitch on Hacks? Hacks is so good. Second season better than the first and i didn't think i would say that because usually they have a plan for the first and the second season it's like "Mm, okay but no it's good it is so good and the way it ends even better even better and i think we this is a year that uh hannah einbinder will be really kind of coming to her own but gene smart still she's driving this bus and Lori metcalf is great in one episode one episode as a guest actress it's emmy right there so that's good. And also starting this week is Sneakerella, which is on Disney+. Plus. It starts, I believe, on Friday. Do I want to say it starts Friday? And it's a kind of a twist on Cinderella. But the Cinderella character is a guy who's a sneaker designer, has mean brothers, stepbrothers, whose dad, their dad owns a sneaker store, and he wants to design sneakers. And he has this great idea for a sneaker. And then he meets the girl whose dad is the big sneaker baron. It's a hip hop kind of musical, which sounds really kind of dreadful, but it's very, very engaging, meant for younger kids. John Sally plays the sneaker king. And it's interesting to see how good he is at dancing, which I was shocked. Basketball player that's good at dancing. Okay, I'll buy it. And... um, the kids are the kids are good too. Uh, Chosen Jacobs plays the the boy who's designing sneakers, and uh, Lexi Underwood is the girl that he falls for, whose dad is John Sally. So that's new this week. And you actually had a conversation with John Sally. We had a conversation, and he told me all about this whole plan of his, where when he was twelve years old, he decided that he was going to be a professional basketball player, and then he was going to go into films. And it happened. So we'll be able to listen to that and you'll be able to hear him talk and tell his whole story and what he does and how he does it. It's kind of, it's very fascinating. It's fun. Love it. But also I've been just immersed in Selling Sunset. Real estate show, you know, this out in Los Angeles. And boy, this fifth season, it's like, what happened here? They, you know, you can tell they're not selling anything because they bring back a house from like a couple of seasons ago and they're selling it again. So really you sell the same house again. And then they're, they're like, as soon as they get there and there's another one there that's with them, they start fighting. Now, really, do you want your real estate agent to fight with another agent when they're there? No, you do not. And then one of them is dating the boss. So of course, you know, she's getting all of her listings in a certain way. Last night I finished the thing off and I thought, God, am I glad I'm not in real estate in Los Angeles? Because it would be brutal. And I don't have the selling clothes. So there you go. So that's your recommendation. You'll feel so glad about your own lot in life. You'll say, you know what? I don't need to make millions. I don't need to live in Los Angeles. And I really don't need to put up with all this drama. So it's good to see somebody else have it, but you don't need it. Considering the way the housing market is right now, I'm sure this is the most dramatic season of that show yet, considering it's all about real estate. 
Yeah, I was wondering like how like do they bake in all of the the COVID stuff and like lumber being so Not, expensive last year and like there's there's no conversation about any of that. There's nobody no was wearing a mask. Nobody was saying like, acknowledgement. We're not showing any. No, they just went at it. They were all out there having their parties and you know. And is this a thing? Have I been missing this real estate phenomenon where you go to somebody's house, you're wearing all the best jewelry and every outfit you've ever seen. And then you just kind of walk around with a champagne glass in your hand and say, nice, like it. I'm going to put in an offer later this week. This is what they do. And it's like a party. So who pays for this crap? I don't know. But there is a reunion show that comes at the end and you'll find out what happened. And there is a huge surprise. If you just watch the episodes and you watch the final one, you go, oh, really? That's what happened? So selling Sunset. I think I just sold it. I think so. We can go from the West Coast, where uh, fires are are a bit of a problem and, and a threat to the, uh, the housing oh, markets. Oh, we're gonna jump over. Land that plane. Uh, we got Firestarter, the latest incarnation. Stephen King never met a film he couldn't remake. He's constantly redoing all the things that he has sold off before, and he had somebody else do it. And now, no, it wasn't really a definitive version, and I think it could be another one. So here we get it again. We're going to get every Stephen King book there ever was redone. I feel like everything gets immediately optioned many times over as part of his deals. I mean, this seems like something where, I mean, it's been so long. I mean, the last time that this was made, it was uh, Drew Barrymore was the little girl. I mean, it goes back that far. And it's uh, very much in the the same vein of Carrie with a pubescent girl getting powers you know, can't control and uh, family stuff. Chris, uh, Carrie, which was remade in 2013 with uh, Chloe Grace Moritz. So there you go. I mean, they've all been remade, but. Yeah. Yep. Elizabeth Olsen does some of those Carrie moves when she's in, um, <laughs> right? You know, even some kind of the way she stands is goes, oh my God, it's Carrie. She's doing Carrie right here. I will say these aren't necessarily great reasons to be interested in seeing something. But if I'm trying to find some silver linings with this, A, it makes me happy to see that Kurtwood Smith is in a movie because I loved Kurtwood Smith going back to when I was a kid watching that 70s show and then later went back and watched like RoboCop and stuff like that. I'm always happy to see a curmudgeon like Kurtwood Smith popping up and stuff. Wisconsin's own Kurtwood Smith. Yes, absolutely. And, and that's and also, coming back too. That 70s yep. show is going to be rebooted. So he gets As a, like that 90s show or something like that, I think, yeah. right? Yeah. And then the other thing I'm excited about, which, I mean, maybe I, you could just skip seeing the movie and wait for the soundtrack, is that uh, John Carpenter is one of the people that's uh, working on the soundtrack. They solely brought him in and his son and their uh, uh, godson to, to work on the soundtrack, which is pretty exciting. So Interesting. I don't know if that's enough to see a movie. Where does Firestarter stand? I mean, I think that was the... That's like B-tier Stephen King stuff. I would say even... C-tier, maybe. Lower than that, maybe, because it's... It's like his fourth or fifth novel. It's one of the real early ones. Because I think it was with Carrie and then Salem's Lot. And then, uh, yeah, definitely one of the earlier ones. And I don't know. I mean, it, it doesn't bode well, I think, that it is going to be in theaters, but also hitting Peacock directly at the exact same time. Yeah. Uh, which, uh, yeah, it just doesn't, I, I don't know what the reasoning behind that is, but it just, it, on paper, it makes it sound pretty dubious <laughs> also coming out this week uh, actually i think it's out today 
uh, as we record this, it's on Hulu. It's Candy. Bruce, uh, can you you want to give us a little uh, intro on Candy? Well, that's Jessica Biel. Mm -hmm. She's kind of fascinating because I never thought of her in that context where she was um, kind of a creepy person. I've never seen her like that. Um, is, it a, plays, is it a true crime thing? Yeah, 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 yeah. And um, 1980 murder. So... Yeah, it's interesting. I, I The first thing you notice is how she looks. And then you go, hmm, is this one of her grabs? Because she's pretty good at producing her own things. And she's uh, good at reinventing herself so that she's not the same all the time out. But Melanie Linsky is probably one to watch from that more so than Jessica Biel. Melanie Linsky, who uh, most recently, I mean, she's having a bit of a moment. Yellow Jackets. Also in the very underrated Netflix movie, I don't feel at home in the world anymore. There's a little religion. There's a little kind of affair, deceit, that kind of stuff going on. So we, we're getting a lot of those films right now where there's some religion-based crime that's related to all of this. So see what you think. See what you think. Um, but I think Melanie Linsky is more watchable than Jessica Biel. And that's just going on early. You know, I haven't seen the whole thing, but first blush. It seems like we're, we're heading towards like a tipping point with true crime adaptation saturation, especially anything HBO just premiered last weekend, uh, The Staircase, which is a adaptation of a real life event that was turned into a multi-part documentary series. Which was great, I thought. I actually really, really liked, even though I don't like true crime that much, I really enjoyed that docuseries. And that one predates a lot of the the real, like, true crime. It was from, like, 04, originally. Podcast didn't even exist then, so you know it's legit. Yep. Yeah, it just feels like we're kind of, I know, uh, Bruce, you talked about with the show Pam. Yeah, you well, know, you know what it is? Podcasts are responsible podcasts have come out and they all want to do a true crime one that kind of keeps you going for several weeks and then they go you know what they did a good job of this let's turn this into a mini series so the people who don't listen to podcasts can possibly tap into it so it has this kind of multi-dimensional multiverse shall we say of of marketability so it's candy and that is on hulu yeah i feel like i'm kind of at a loss we're just kind of in a the doldrums yeah can i give you one that you should look forward to because i think it is interesting and i've just seen bits of it not whole Please. chunks of it um is light year and this is this kind of weird side project of buzz Lightyear and toy story and all that kind of stuff and it's basically the show that the andy watched that he got enamored with Buzz Lightyear. I know this is like the weirdest thing ever, but it's a different look and it's kind of fun. And you get a chance to see what that old TV show might've looked like. And I think that one might be one worth waiting for because at least they've thought it through a bit. It's not just one more Toy Story out there. Yeah, the trailers for that, I'm, I'm optimistic. It seemed like it was kind of a, I mean, it's- it's are not, Jared's not. You're not excited for the potential I, uh, the, uncanny valleying of Toy Story? <laughs> the, the David Bowie Starman thing was like just really annoying to me when I heard Starman playing in that. 
the quickest way to just really frustrate me during a trailer is to just drop the most obvious like song possible. So it's an uphill battle for me to have any interest in this when they dropped Starman in there. <laughs> I'm not going to say that that's could unfair. Be good. Could be good. Just wait. No. Yeah. yeah. I mean, there's like a bunch of good stuff that's like still rolling. So it's not like we're at a loss for things to keep watching. I mean, third episode of Barry's out. We got Better Call Saul still chugging. Um, I don't know. It just feels uh well, yeah. We're all just waiting, uh, we're all just waiting for Avatar. You know, the trailer's out there now for uh the new Avatar movie at the end of the year. Uh, if you go see Doctor Strange, you get to see the trailer for Avatar, the way of uh the water. So that's that's what we're really waiting on now. What did you both think of the the trailer for Avatar? Mm, I am past Avatar. I really am. Uh I am. When I went to the, what's it called, Pandora at Animal Kingdom at Disney World, that is a really cool way of kind of continuing it. And you have this ride that's incredible. And now when you go back to the movie, unless there are some real huge advances that we're seeing, it's just another one, you know? Yeah. Because I didn't see that. Did you see that at all in that trailer? Any kind of thing where you go, oh my God, they've moved the, the needle on this one. I think the the big needle move is just going to be on some of the uh, and you know mileage may vary on this, but like the way just like the water and everything looks in that movie is even just from the trailer I can tell is not something we're going to have seen in a movie before, which is exciting enough just on that alone. I think that's that's me. <laughs> yeah, the biggest hurdle from what I can see, I mean it looks great, sure, but if you put a gun to my head, I I really I don't know if I could tell you what the plot of the first one was outside of just like, you know, I don't know, Fern Gully did it better. Like, I mean, it's a, it's a real, you know, man, we sure are killing mother nature. We're searching for something called unobtainium. Uh-huh. Unobtainium. We took a lot of time trying to figure out what the name of this missing thing was. Please. Chris, to your point, and I, I'm not picking on you in particular, because I've seen some other people talk about how like, can anyone even remember anything from the plot of Avatar, which is not entirely unfair, because if I was even forced to recite to you the beats of Avatar at this point, I would not remember. But it's not like that's the only blockbuster that like no one has a cultural memory for anymore. That's every blockbuster now. Like I couldn't tell you anything about, uh, you know, Infinity War at this point or Endgame or any number of other blockbusters. We kind of just live in this era now where these blockbusters just come and, and go. But this one at least was made by James Cameron. So yeah, I'm never going to write him out. Like no, write him off. <laughs> his track record for exceeding expectations is sterling. And I think the first avatar blew the doors off like box office numbers historically was that it came out in the exact time when you had to see it in a theater. And when 3d was something that theaters could really upcharge on. So Basically, every single ticket sold was, you know, two plus times the amount of like a normal ticket and everyone happily gave it to them. And to rewatch it, like it wasn't the kind of thing where you could, you know, get it on, you know, DVD, throw it on and watch it and have the same experience. So I think like the it's not something that exists in a uh, home viewing experience the same way that, uh, you know, Robocop does. Which is why I think it's very savvy of them that they're bringing the movie back out, the first one, in 3D again, like in uh, September, I think, is when they're going to do that, which is 
very, very smart of them to do. And I wouldn't be surprised if that does pretty well for like a re-release of a movie. With extra footage, right? Yes. That'd be the thing. Oh yeah. No, it will. (laughs) So yeah. So Bruce, why don't you give us a nice little lead in to your conversation with the co-star of Sneakerella. It's John Sally. I, you guys are probably hot basketball fans. And so you would know him as the first, not the only, but the first NBA star to win four championships with three teams. And that was quite a feat. But we talk about everything like acting and basketball. And is there acting in basketball? And we talk about Sneakerella and we talk about rapping. We talk about all these things. And I just want to tell you that he says we should put it out in the universe and it'll happen. So here's your chance to learn how to do it from the pro. Here's John Sally. So we get to hear a basketball player literally tell us to shoot our shot. Yep. (laughs) Keep your head in the game. Isn't that what we have to say? Bruce, how are you? I am so good. Can I ask you, though, is there an element of performance or acting in professional sports yes you have to you have to act like uh that you want to be there every night you got to act like you don't hurt you have to act like you like some of your teammates you have to act like you don't care what the media says there's a lot of acting so there is acting well when did you think i can take this to another level at what point did you start thinking about yeah i'm I'm gonna have an acting career i was 12 years old the same time Yeah, at the same time, I knew I wanted to be a professional basketball player. I used to tell people, I'm going to be a professional basketball player, get famous, and then I'm going to move to Beverly Hills, and I'm going to do movies, and I'm going to do films, and I'm going to do TV shows. And I used to say all of this. And my mother called me a prophet when I was 25. She said, 13 years ago, he said he was going to do exactly what he was doing. And then when I got my first movie in 93 with Bad Boys, I was like, I want to do this. Why? Yeah. You call something for me. I want to have something, something like that. That's going to be great. You have, to have. To do it. you have to do it. Oh, I have to do it. Okay. Well, yeah. when did the dancing and the, the singing and the rapping come in? So I started rapping when I was um, nine years old. And then uh, when I was 14, uh, 15, I had my own crew called uh, MC Johnny T and, and the mass production crew. And then at 18, I went to college and all I did is listen to hip hop. And then I owned a studio in Detroit called Hoop Sound Studio. And I, I was trying to get different artists and get them signed to record labels. I have my own record label now, my own artists. My daughter's a recording artist. And then I uh, I started taking acting classes in 1992. And, and I would, that's my getaway. But Just the like dancing. Kobe Bryant. Oh, the dancing. They asked me to do dancing with the good, unless- once. And I, um, I, I'm glad... I watched the movie. I watched it with my wife and my daughters at the Pan-African Film Festival. We screened it for um, some students. I'm so happy how they edited my dancing. Well, I really, I, I am, I am. I am really happy with the performance and how the performance went. But uh, I tell you, I was, I was up hours and nights in, in, my, in my little apartment in Toronto trying to get the steps, trying to remember the words, playing the tape over and over and over. It's really hard. It's a really look, hard thing. I have a different- You look look. great. Thank you, thank you. I wish I had a piece of that. That was really good. Oh yeah, well, let me tell you. Uh, 
it just needs to look good on camera. No one needs to know what it looked like before the camera hit, right? Edit me, edit me, right? <laughs> How do you deal with these actors that are are much shorter than you? Is that difficult to to work with, or what do you do? Put them on boxes, or what? No, you know what's funny is in life, people are shorter than me. It just takes a really, you know, I asked Spike Lee why he didn't put me in basketball, um, basketball Jones. And, you know, I've been friends with him since, I don't know, 1988, 80, 80, 86. And he was like, I don't want to direct my friends in the movie. I go, you're not friends with Denzel? And he didn't know what to say. <laughs> he, didn't, he didn't, he obviously didn't think I had the chops. And that's what I love about this movie. Because I know Spike Lee is going to see it and he's going to be like, you do have chops. I was like, I always had chops, man. Listen to me. So they I, were I'm just, there. Yeah, I'm happy that it worked out. Well, I think you do a great job in this and I want more dancing. I think it's good. Yeah, I just go with the rapid. <laughs> Thank you. Thanks so much, John. Appreciate it. And good luck with all those future things. But Thank I'm counting you. on you to kind of put in a word for me when you're at it. I got you. So yeah, so Jared, you want to take us out with some uh, some words of wisdom here? Absolutely. Look, I'm uh, I'm in a good mood this week. Uh, last week, I was in a foul mood when I was uh, introducing the, uh, the end of the show because people kept yammering during uh, my screening of Memory with uh, Liam Neeson. But I'm in a good mood this week. Doctor Strange was fine enough. There were some goofy parts that I liked. I got to see my Avatar trailer. So I'll just say... Go and uh, go to the theaters and screen something good or uh, sit at home and stream something good. Thank you both so much. Thank everyone for listening. We'll be back next week with another interview and some more chatter about fun movies and shows to be looking out for. You can find us on all the social media places. Please subscribe to the show. Tell your, tell your movie-loving friends about it. And uh, yeah, see something good. We'll be back next week. I don't need to make millions. I don't need to live in Los Angeles. And I really don't need to put up with all this drama. I just want my kids back.